yesterday for the first time here, here at St. Joseph's Parish, we were able to celebrate the feast or the vigil of Pentecost with all of the readings that are involved with it. If you look at the Missalette, there were five readings uh, from the Old Testament and New Testament that, we, that were yesterday's vigil. For any of you who have attended the Easter vigil, you know that there's a lot of readings. It's actually quite long if you attend an Easter vigil mass with baptism. It can be from an hour and a half to two and a half hours long. It's, it's one of the, the greatest liturgies, I think, in the, in the whole world uh, for the fact that it celebrates Jesus' resurrection. Today we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which is the last day of the, of the resurrection season. The Feast of Pentecost really tries to connect itself with what takes place on the resurrection, which is why the Church gives to us this, uh, this great feast, particularly a, a longer Easter vigil. What ends up happening, as all of us Catholics do from time to time, we try to shorten things. So the missalette that, that, that we have in the pews, the editors for, well, since the, since the uh, Novus Ordo Mass came about, decided to always do the, the minimal amount. So we always got that. So in the coming years, you might be seeing some longer liturgies uh, because Archbishop Sample, who edits or who oversees our missalette, is an excellent bishop. He's in, um, he's west of here. Anyway, he he's trying to do what the church asks as much as he can. So um, thus the longer Easter vigil, as well as the longer uh, Pentecost vigil. In the Jewish world, as well as in the in the Christian world, whenever there's a big celebration, one one anticipates it the day before. We see it sort of secularly, particularly on New Year's, where people. Our culture will, will stay up later, you know, and wait for the new year to arrive. And what ends up happening is you tell stories of past new years, you tell stories about family life, and you just kind of have some good fun. And then as the, the clock strikes midnight, you know, there's this big celebration, and, you know, and then one goes to bed. That's something that's very Jewish, uh, very, very, um, very Christian as well. We don't just do it, of course, in New Year's, but we're supposed to do it more often than that. It's also one of the reasons why uh, on Sunday there's the Sunday Vigil Mass, which is Saturday, and it fulfills one Sunday obligation. It's we Christians getting excited about what takes place on Sunday, the Day of the Lord, the Day of Rest. So uh, it counts as, as that. I want to go through a little bit of, uh, uh, in each of the readings that we heard from last night, and then lastly I'll talk about the Gospel reading that we just heard. So the first reading from last, from last evening is from the book of Genesis. It tells the story of, of Babylon, or excuse me, uh, the Tower of Babel. Remember from catechism class, the Tower of Babel, all these people get together, and they build this tower. As they're building the tower, God looks down upon them and, and sees that, that they're trying to make a name for themselves, meaning that they're trying to overthrow God. They want to make themselves as the most important ones. So God then changes their languages, and they can no longer talk to one another. So they speak multiple languages, and then they're dispersed because they can't communicate in, in how to build this, this tower. It's a story. Did it literally happen? It certainly could. We know God is able to change our, our nature in any way. But I, I think this is what's really also taking place. Whenever people go towards evil more and more, what ends up happening is they begin to speak different languages. We see that probably first and foremost, you know, within family life, 
where, where two people in the family start going one or the other, or both go down the wrong path, and pretty soon they're not communicating anymore. And when they do talk to one another, even though they're speaking English, they, they're like talking over each other. And what ends up happening is they can't, there's no longer communion, there's no longer unity amongst them, and they go their separate ways. We see that, of course, in our culture as well, you know, where you have uh, different political parties, and, and, and we see, you know, different groups of people not being able to dialogue with one another anymore and talk the same language, and then one goes their separate ways. When we see what took place in our own state just yesterday, you know, you, you think about, you know, the, these people, they're, they're trying to, to make a name for themselves, and, and one does that in, in various ways, to the point that, you know, stores in downtown Fargo got um, broken into, and things were taken. But that really begins with what we hear in yesterday's first reading. And that is when people turn away from God, what takes place is they speak a different language. We see that with racism. We even see that, you know, with, with the police officer, you know, who, who refused to, to allow the, the, uh, the gentleman to breathe, you know, where he himself wasn't listening to the Spirit of God and makes a bad choice. I'm sure now he regrets it as well as the other officers that were there too. And as many officers across the country have, you know, said that that wasn't supposed to be done in that manner. But when we turn away from God, we speak different languages and we can't communicate and people die. Evil enters into the world. When we get to our second meeting from yesterday, it's from the book of Exodus. This, the, the setting for this reading is the people of, of Israel have just come out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. Remember God came down upon the mountain. He came in the form of, of fire and thunder and lightning and smoke and all that. God wanted to talk to the people. He wanted to communicate with them. But as they approach the mountain and they see God's awesomeness, you know, they see the thunder and the smoke and all, they, they get afraid. And they say to Moses, Moses, you talk with God and then tell us what God says. Meaning, we, we don't want to get close to God. And God, of course, is a patient God. God does just that. He talks through Moses to the people and the people are still brought into the promised land as God had promised. When we get to our third reading from yesterday, it's from the prophet Ezekiel. This is a rather strange reading. Uh, if you get a chance, you know, before you leave church today, maybe pick it up and, and read the reading. It, it talks about uh, these dry bones. It's a rather puzzling image, these dry bones. I, I think any one of us who have grown up on a ranch or a farm know what dry bones are. When you butcher an animal, you know, you'll see the flesh on the bones, and then pretty soon the flesh is eaten off by different other animals. And then you have like this grease that's on there from, you know, the sun. But the, the longer the animal has been dead, the more the bone becomes dry. And you're left with a dry bone. So what Ezekiel is seeing in this reading He's seen this, this open field with all these human dry bones. They're not animal bones, they're human dry bones. It's probably something that was very common at, at the time because the only people that buried the dead, that I'm aware of anyway, are, were, were the Jews. They would always bury their dead, whereas other nations would not. 
you have a fight, battle takes place on an open field, people die, they're left there for the crows, you know, and wild animals. You see a number of passages in scripture where that's the case. So you come there, you know, a year later or two years later, what will you see? You'll see human bones all dried up. And as he sees that image, um, God says to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel talks to the bones, and pretty soon what ends up happening is the bones rise up from the ground, flesh is formed upon them, and now they're human beings again. It prefigures the resurrection. We're in the Easter season. What is Jesus going to do at the end of time? He's going to take our dry bones, assuming we weren't cremated, but he, of course, has the power to take ashes too, and he raises us up from the dead. We turn back alive. Then when we get to the fourth reading, this is from the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel, he speaks the, the voice of the Lord, who says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, etc., etc. He, he promises this pouring of the spirit upon humanity. What is the pouring of the spirit upon humanity? It's God's life coming into us. That our hearts are no longer turned towards evil, but our hearts are turned towards God's will, towards relationship with God, not running away from the mountain and saying, Moses, you talk to God and then tell, him what, tell us what God said. But rather, when God's spirit is alive within us, we become capable of talking to God one-on-one. -on -one. We become capable of praying. We become capable of experiencing God's love for us while we're present with Him in prayer. So when the Holy Spirit is poured forth upon the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Apostles, on that first Christian Pentecost day, what takes place is that their hearts are so filled with the Holy Spirit that they go out and they tell the good news, they talk about Jesus, they talk about this freedom that's found in Christ. They talk about how, how good God has been to humanity and how humanity has rebelled. As Peter preaches that, that first Christian Pentecost, the people here, and they're convicted, they're cut to the heart, St. Luke writes. They're cut to the heart, and then they ask Peter, what, what are we to do? What do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent, meaning turn your life away from this rebelliousness that you have, and turn towards God, and then be baptized. What takes place when we're baptized? the life of God is poured into our hearts. It's why parents, uh, all Christian parents, are commanded to baptize their kids, to, to bring their kids before the church and say, you know, I want my child to receive the life of God. And even if there are no ministers, there's no one to bring, there's no, you know, one's not able to worship God publicly or live one's faith publicly as, as some places of China and others. One, oneself then just baptizes the child because it is an emergency. 
and even for all of you, you know, for any of you who have children and, and something is not right with the child after he or she has been born, you yourself are free to baptize. Be baptized. Because when we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes to us. But then when we're confirmed, which is where this, the sacrament of confirmation comes from, is, is this feast. When we're confirmed, we're given a greater boldness to go out, to not hide anymore, but to proclaim Christ on the rooftops. But we can't proclaim Christ if we're still hanging on to our rebellious hearts. If we're still saying, Moses, you talk to God, and then tell us what God says. Rather, God wants to come to each one of you. God wants to fill your heart with his life, with his grace, with his Holy Spirit. And then we're free. We're free, we don't, when things go wrong, we don't riot. When someone we don't like comes upon us, we don't treat him or her badly. Rather, we have Christian hearts. It is said that in the United States in 1990, we were a little more than 80% Christian, or people that claimed to be a Christian in our country. The statistics from just last year, now there are just a little more than 60% who claim to be Christian in our country, as you can see, and as we see all around us, as our culture goes away from Christianity, away from God, what ends up taking place is the Tower of Babel. We forget how to communicate, and there's more war going on, more and more. But we as Christians... When we stay close to Jesus, then community takes place, not division. We become capable of bringing about communion from what we hear in our gospel reading. This is Easter Sunday. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He shows up in the upper room and he says to the apostles who are afraid, they're freaked out. You know, they lock themselves in the room because their master had just died. Jesus comes, risen from the dead, and he says to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send, send you. And when he had said this, he breathes on them. They weren't concerned about getting the coronavirus. <laughs> he breathes on them and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. He gives them the authority to forgive sins because, of course, Jesus knows what keeps peace from our hearts. It's, it's our sin. It's our rebellious hearts. Or, or our lack of going to Jesus and telling him what's disturbing us. But when we come to Jesus, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. The only ones... The only one that the only clergymen that, that are able to say that at mass is, is a bishop, because the bishop is the successor of the apostles, a full successor. And at mass, as he begins, you know, the celebration of the Lord's Passover, he says, Peace be with you. And everybody responds, and with your spirit. Because the bishop who brings the Holy Spirit without a bishop, 
We don't have the church. Without an apostle, we don't have the church. I, I receive the ability, the faculty to forgive sins from the bishop. So when someone comes into the confessional and, and says, I don't want this rebellious heart, I, 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 want to, I want to live in God's grace. And when one hears those words of absolution, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the priest has the option of saying, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. A priest can say those words in the sacrament of confession because through confessing our sins, we receive the Lord's peace. So folks, at this Mass, as, as we come to this most sacred altar, as we come before the risen Lord, hidden under the appearances of bread and wine, let us ask for the grace to be Christians, the grace to forgive those who have hurt us, and the grace to communicate. And if we don't know how to communicate, to listen, that we might learn the language of those around us. Let's have peaceful hearts. We know that we can't have peaceful hearts unless we are open ourselves to our good God.